Welcome to the Ink Feather podcast, which explores the worlds of sci-fi and fantasy books through those who bring them to life. Every week, we chat with authors and industry pros about their books, including new releases and old favorites. I'm Lauren Zurchin with the Ink Feather Collective, and this is episode 58, where I chat with best-selling author Roseanne A. Brown. So Roseanne's first book, A Song of Wraiths and Ruin, came out in 2020 and was a New York Times bestseller. And she's back with a second book, uh, the last book in this duology, A Psalm of Storms and Silence, which released on November 2nd. Roseanne was awesome. I was so excited to chat with her. These books were great. Um, They were extremely complex, really well-balanced fantasies. And we definitely dig into the world and what it was like writing these books, keeping all those balls juggling in the air and the rhythm that she needs to do that. Um, We talk about the West African folklore that inspired a lot of the things in the book and how she pulled from her own experience. Um, We actually talk about what her favorite part of the duology to write was and, um, you know, definitely the character's personal journeys, how much they changed. This is a really great episode for writers. This is an episode where we kind of dig into the nitty gritty of how these books kind of came about creatively. So this is a really good one to listen to if you are a writer. Um, Or if you like these books, you definitely will get a little bit of insight into the series. Two things real quick. Uh, The recording was a little bit muffled. I definitely edited it a bit and I can't understand what Rosie says, but you'll hear a difference in our audio. She definitely sounds like she's like on a cell phone, which I don't know if it was just speakers or the way it recorded, but um, I just wanted to give you a heads up that you might need to either turn the volume up a little bit or, you know, maybe not be in a loud place when you're listening to this because it is definitely understandable, but it's not as clear as my mic. And also there is a slight book two spoiler where we talk about some plotting things of the climax of book two. I will make a quick note in there about jumping forward to um, a different time if you want to skip that part. It's really not plot spoilery, but it's one of those like we talk about what characters are doing what in the climax. So if you haven't read book two and you want like absolutely no spoilers, then I wouldn't I would just skip that little part. Um, And I will make a note, like I said, in the audio. Um, So yeah, I hope you enjoy. Um, Next week's episode is Natasha Young, who wrote uh, Girls of Paper and Fire series. And we're going to dig into those. Uh, So stay tuned for that. But for now, let's jump into the interview with Roseanne. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Roseanne. Thanks for uh, being here and welcome to the Ink Feather podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm so glad to hear you enjoyed the series. It still just doesn't feel real. It's over. So, Oh, my gosh. It was just I've got so many questions. I've been taking notes as I read and um, I was lucky enough to do audio for both of them, too, which was really nice. I read a little bit of, you know, I kind of read book one before it was out and then finished it on audio. And oh, it was just it was so good on audio too, because, you know, it's really is like having a story told to you. And so it it just flowed really well that way. But yeah, it was just, oh, it was so good. So before we kind of get into the meat of the books, um, I'm really curious, you, you, before we started recording, you were saying last week was your, you know, release week of book two, and you are also finishing up a new book. And, you know, now this duology is out in the world. How has this, the publishing journey for these two books been up to this point? It has been such a like just it has been a roller coaster because like 
obviously rates came out in 2020 um and pandemic as just i feel like the pandemic is a big one like i've been working on this series since 2016 since early 2016 so about five years and like in even though like the portion of i've been working on this the pandemic has only been about two years now it feels like it has overshadowed the non-pandemic period of working on it because just having to readjust my expectations and my understanding of publishing yep. while publishing itself was shifting in real time. That in all a lot of ways was almost harder than the writing of the books themselves. Well, and I think what was so hard for everybody, um, I've talked to many authors throughout this past year and a half too, and it, nobody knew what was going on, and, including us as like the human race. <laughs> so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, like how do you do, especially if it's a debut book or it's a new book in a series or like, I think for me, the pros that came out of that was because there were so many virtual events, so many people who normally wouldn't be able to go to an event got the chance to go, which I thought was really cool. Um, you know, because yeah. it's not like everyone can just go to Books of Wonder in New York if they're like in, you know, Germany or something. So it's really cool that that's an option for people. But yeah, I I definitely felt for you guys over this, like it was just, like you said, it was just sort of a unknown everything. So I bet. So now we're kind of, not that we're coming out of the pandemic, I think we're kind of coming into a new reality of stasis with it. And now book two is out. And um, are you feeling, are you feeling good? Are you like, how did week one go with, with the second book out? I think week one, in, in a lot of ways, it was calmer in the sense, like, I knew what to expect. Because with that debut, like, it's just your first time. You just don't know how anything feels. Like, you just are just not prepared for, like, just the influx of just everything you need to do, everything you need to handle. Versus, like, you know that saying, it's not my first rodeo? Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, I definitely felt that, like, it was still overwhelming in the sense of just a lot of things that needed my attention. But at least this time, I've done it once before. So I was, like, I still feel, like, overwhelmed. But it's, like, the kind of overwhelm I expected it was not like surprising but I say that I say it in a good way because it's still the best feeling in the world like a story getting to your readers and getting to other people and getting to see how they're reacting to it and so that has been the best part and like really hearing because some people have been waiting since like the first book came out since June 2020 to have the sequel mm-hmm. and so getting their reactions has been the absolute best part and like knowing that like I've completed a whole series and told one like continuous story I feel very proud of that on we'll get more into this but it this series like these this the plots of these books boggled my mind how you how you kept all the balls juggling i was just like i am so impressed with your writings like how you've figured all this stuff out because these books are no joke there is a lot of stuff that happens in them and it it was handled beautifully so i'm i'm i can just imagine like the sense of pride from being in your head to, like you said, fruition, and now people going, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I wanted, and having that that ending, it's just, I bet that's just the best feeling in the world. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is. So before we kind of dig into the details, for those listening who maybe are unfamiliar with the series, um, what what's kind of a general elevator pitch of like the world or the plots? If you were to tell someone who had no idea what your books were, what would you tell them? Sure. So A Song of Rates of Ruin is set in a world inspired by West African folklore, and it follows two protagonists, a princess named Karina and a refugee named Malik. So when Malik's younger sister is kidnapped by a vengeful spirit, he strikes a deal that in order to win her freedom, he must kill Karina, the crown princess of Zoran. So he enters a competition to win Karina's hand in marriage so he can get close to her, kill him, and save her, his sister. However, he doesn't know that Karina's mother, the queen, has just been assassinated, and she discovered a forbidden spell that will bring her mother back to life. But to do so, she'll need the heart of a king. 
And because there's no king, she has set up this competition to find some dude, marry him to make him king, and then sacrifice him to bring her mother back to life. So yeah, he's trying to kill her. She's trying to kill him. Neither of them are aware of it. And the book is about the ways they dance around each other and plot around each other. And how when they actually meet and they realize they have more in common than they thought. And their plans go completely off the rails. So that's book one. Um, book two is, I can't really say much without spoiling, but I like to describe it as everything gets worse for everyone. So- <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much right. <laughs> it's just, um, for those of you listening who um, maybe have no idea of the books at all, we're not going to talk major, major spoilers like, and then this happens at the climax of book two. We're not going to do that, but we will talk kind of some broad Broad strokes of the of the I have some character questions about specifically in book two. So if you don't want any, any, any spoilers, then maybe read and then come back. Um, but like I said, if you're if you are just curious, like I said, we're not going to give it away any major like twists or anything. I just um, I have some interesting questions I want to ask. But yeah, it's good to give that as a warning, just in case someone like doesn't want anything ever. But yeah, I mean, things definitely get worse in book two. And it's really funny too, in book one, because, you know, with them finding out how much more they have in common, and then they kind of like are trying not to catch feelings, and they kind of do, but they're not sure if they should, and they're not really sure. And then with book two, the world is just turned on its head, and the characters are turned on their heads. And it's really... um it's really fascinating to see the the journey that these these two main characters go on. And there's a lot of wonderful side characters who also have some really interesting things happen to them as well. Um, but let's kind of go back on what you said when you were talking about the beginning. Um, the West African folklore that you pulled from, there were so many cool and interesting things. When you were looking and researching this book or like pulling from your own experiences, were there some things that you're like, I have to make sure I include this? Like, what are some of the things that you were just so excited to put in these series? Well, I knew from the start, I knew I've always been fascinated by sort of the history and the ancient kingdoms, pre-colonial era kingdoms of the Sahara Desert, specifically the trans-Saharan trade route between North and South, sorry, North and West Africa from um, 11th to 12th century. So that was sort of like my sort of playground of like, okay, this is, I'm going to sort of base on this era Mm -hmm. and a lot of like the feuds and kingdoms and what was happening then. Um, And I just, I've always loved what... What I've always loved about so many West African folktales is sort of the epic scale of them and how big they feel and just how like magic just exists kind of side to side with the characters. Because I felt like in a lot of Western stories, magic tends to kind of be this separate thing, this sort of like it's almost like an art form or like something that can be learned scholarly. Whereas in a lot of like West African tales, it just is a Mm. thing. And like there isn't really much justification or explanation. And like the audience is just sort of kind of supposed to accept it. And so I love that. And I want to kind of create a world that even at the start of the book, this isn't really a spoiler, at the start of the book, sort of some of the magical practices have fallen to the wayside because a lot of people don't think they exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still the world was very much shaped by magic. And like, there's still lingering little like things that clearly magic formed this world. And so getting to write that in that and like kind of write like what a world formed by this would look like was just very cool to me. And like that feeling of like just how sort of magic and supernatural traditions and like religion, the way they sort of interact and interplay with each other was something um, I definitely based on lots of real African spiritual traditions because the gods in the book aren't actually any real gods. I made them up, but I definitely wanted the vibe of like um, some real traditions and like how people interact with them in their daily lives to make it really feel like how, what I was learning through my research and I know with my own lived experience of like how African spiritual traditions affect the day to day. Yeah, it was really interesting um, 
I really love elemental magic in general is my favorite kind of fantasy thing to read. And it's always fun to see how it comes through in different stories. And I did love how um, intrinsic it was to the world. Kind of like you said, it's not something that you go and learn at school, but it's even though, like you said at the beginning, it's, I don't say completely fallen by the wayside. It's, it's something that is still discussed and they still pray to those gods of wind and water. But yeah, the fact that it was just the thing that, existed was very very cool and i really liked how um you know when you were just commenting on like on the religious aspect of it and how it it kind of infiltrated everybody's daily lives and and you know like i think there was even a, a line in in book two where uh karina was like i don't even know how i feel or if i believe but i'm praying to the gods and i'm feeling you know so it's like this idea of like reality and religion and magic kind of all just existing for these characters, which was really fun to read. I really did enjoy that. Um, was there a favorite part of writing the like magical side or the fantastical sides that you were like, were like the most fun for you? I think for me, it was coming up with definitely the different alignments. And cause like in a lot of ways, it's kind of like the Zodiac of that world, but very literal. And so mm. kind of coming up with like how they'd exist and like what kind of person would be under which kind. And like that, cause I'm a huge astrology nut. So I love all that stuff. And so I like, kind of basically getting to make my own astrology for my own series. That was definitely a big fun part of it. Oh, that is kind of a cool, cool idea. And I, I really love how there were like different facets of each element as well, like depending on what day you were born and what you kind of um, connected with that way. It like changed your magic a bit, which was really cool. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the magical side of things in this book. Um, so I want to get into what I what I mentioned earlier. When I was reading this book, I, there was a couple times where I actually stopped and made note and was just like... I am so impressed with your plotting because there were so much happening in these books. There were so many literally juggling. There were so many balls in the air and you didn't drop any of them. And I was just, I felt so satisfied at the end. I felt like all the parts made sense, all the pieces, but we had, you know, we have these complicated fantasy elements. We have political intrigue. We have past stories and like ancestral stuff being relevant to now. We have quests. We have trials. We have journeys, <laughs> like all of this stuff at the same time. And it all worked. Um, how? How did you? How? I mean, I don't want to say like, how did you do it? But like, that's kind of what I'm asking, because I was genuinely very <laughs> impressed with your writing. Because seriously, these are some of the most complex books I've read in a long time, but I didn't feel lost. And I, I knew what was happening the whole time. But there was always a lot going on. So yeah, take us through kind of like, I, I'm wondering, did you just have like 800 post-its on your wall? Like, how did you bring these books to life? Um, with a lot of crying um, and, um <laughs> a lot of rewriting because like Wraith I rewrote six times and then Psalm I rewrote four times so wow. I'm slowly getting down on the rewrites but I definitely it's uh it, it wasn't easy I'm not gonna lie so thank you I'm really glad it comes across that way part of that was out of necessity because I originally had planned for a trilogy mm. but we ended up selling a duology and sometimes that happens in publishing like you kind of gotta work with what you got what you're able to sell right so yeah. I basically had the problem like oh gosh how do I make like a three book series a two book series and like not drop anything because like there's there were things i still want to say still things i want to do but i just had less space to do it um and so for me i always tend to think of a story as a braid and the idea that like when you're looking at a braid you only see two strands at one time but there's always three strands in the mm. braid and so like i always kept track of like even if something was not in play at the exact scene it was still moving in the background. Like there was still something so that the next time that element of the story showed up, like the next time that character showed up in that plot point, it had been moved forward, even if the reader hadn't seen it move forward. Right. 
And so in that way, like everything was in constant motion. And I know that might sound so confusing, but to me, it helps just knowing that like, okay, if I introduce character A, right, in chapter one, and they don't show up again until chapter six, even if we don't see them chapter two through five, as long as I know what they've been up to through two to mm-hmm. five, when I show up in six, it's not like, oh, well, what do I do with them now? Oh, gosh. Like, it's like, no, they've been up to X, Y, Z. So that means all I have left to do is ABC, you know? Like, so the constant motion helps keep, it, it helps with the juggling. Like, the whole idea, like, how you um, you brought up juggling, it's a rhythm. Like, that's how jugglers do it. And it looks mm-hmm. harder than it, well, it's still really hard. I'm not going to say it's not hard, but, like, the <laughs> But you can get like a system down that kind of worked. I like the word rhythm. That makes sense. That is relevant to the book too, because music is a nice kind of through line in this story as well. Um, Yeah, that is interesting. I, 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 because I will say, you know, sometimes we, when we read, especially when you read a lot, like I do, and a lot of our listeners do, you know, one little clue or little thing is planted and you tuck it away and you're always like, hmm, I wonder if that's going to come back up. And anytime I thought that it always did, and it always did in an interesting way. Like even, I don't know, there was a book, there was a character in book two, a side character that um, Malik met. She's like a little, a scholar at the college and he like met her in passing and like tucked it away. And then a few chapters later, he was like, I need to, and I was like, he's going to go talk to that girl. I know it. And he did. And it was like, this is and it, but it, like, but it made sense. And it was also unexpected and in a way things happened with like that character, for example, who's a totally random side character, doesn't have a massive, massive, massive storyline in the whole series. It was still interesting and surprising and relevant. So whatever you did, it worked. I mean, I, I actually really like that idea too. I feel like I've never really heard an author talk about it like that, but that makes sense. Like even as the story's moving forward, like knowing what everyone's doing during all of those other chapters, just so that when they show back up, things can just happen. That makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I, I got to give you mad props. Like seriously, these <laughs> books are no joke. Oh my God. I'm really impressed. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Out of out of like the the whole both books, was there a particular scene or a particular moment that you were either most looking forward to writing or that was like the most satisfying? If we you know if we need to get a little spoilery, I can like say I can interject like skip ahead to this point if we have to. But I'm I'm always really curious when you're in the throes of your big project, like the thing that just feels the most awesome. Mm, I think. Okay, so I can do one for book one that's not too much of a spoiler, and then book two, one that is a bit of a spoiler. Okay. So for book one, there's a scene um, where Malik's in the competition, and he's reached, like, the third round, and there's a scene where it's sort of, I guess, one of my favorite tropes is, like, the character confronts their inner demons, and Malik has this moment where he confronts his inner demons, and that scene was just so cathartic to write, mm. simply because, like, it was also very difficult, because I have a distinct memory of, like, writing, hand I hand-wrote it the first time, so mm. handwriting that out, like, really just getting it on the page and like just getting all Malik, all his worst thoughts, his worst instincts and really digging that on there. And then just like putting it down my notebook and like walking away in the middle of work. Cause it was, I was still teaching at the time. So during like one of my off periods and like I finished my work. So I was just scribbling, scribbling. I just remembered like the moment I cracked that scene, I just had to get up and just walk away. Cause it was like, it was a lot. Like y'all who's ready, you know, the scene I'm talking about. I do. Yeah. Like, it was a it lot. Was just, like, it was. And it was just felt very cathartic to really, Malik has been struggling with mental health all book. And so just have like this moment there just felt, I was very proud of pulling that off. Um, and then this one is the, the book two slight spoiler. Okay. So from this point on, if you don't want any tiny spoilers about the ending of book two, 
scroll forward about a minute and a half, a minute and 45 seconds, and the conversation will pick up. Um, we still are talking a little bit about it by then, but nothing major spoiler. It's more just like general plotting stuff. Okay. The um, climax of book two was a very difficult one because I was like, I knew I wanted to have Karina's sister there. I knew I wanted to have um, Fareed there, Karina, and I knew Malik had to be there in some capacity, but like, they all have very different agendas. They all want very different things. Mm -hmm. And so like bringing this all to a head and like, honestly, like when you're ending uh, with a duology, a sequel is hard because it's both your sequel and it's a finale. So it's like, this has to feel like a continuation of the story, but also the end of the story. So I was like, how do I bring this to an end that feels right and earned, but it doesn't take too long. And so when I figured out like sort of that final confrontation on the mountain and able to being able to bring it home, because at first I thought I wanted it in Zoran, but like, being able to bring it home to Malik's homeland felt like very, it felt very narratively right. And like that moment where sort of her sister stands up to save her and sort of becomes the monster. I was just so proud of the way that sequence played out and like how, and just sort of working with readers' expectations. Cause I know a lot of people were sort of expecting this big confrontation with Fareed and sort of like getting to have, getting to get rid of him the way I got rid of him felt very fun for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was unexpected. And like how things happened. Yeah. And like, like I said, we'll, we'll put a little warning for people because we're like, we're not spoiling, but we are a little bit, but like, yes, it was not what I, how I expected. It was surprising. And it was really like the progression of the, the, the chain of events that happens in this, in the finale and the climax was very, fun and interesting to read i totally agree with what you're saying um, and i can see why you'd be like haha and then this happens like i totally can see that especially if you know people are expecting it to be this and you're like no actually this feels good and let's do this and then you're gonna surprise people i can totally see that <laughs> definitely because i feel like as an author like with certain genres especially like with something like a high fantasy like you there are certain reader expectations that like with high fantasy people are expecting action they're expecting big big set pieces you know yeah and like I do feel like it's the author's job not to like cheat them like every single like every time like we all know like you're going into a book and like you're expecting certain things and they don't happen you're just like what like that just feels like false advertising so for me my goal is never like to cheat the reader like mm, <laughs> you know could not have seen this coming but just sort of like <laughs> twist it from a different angle they might not expect like yes there is the big climax battle like so like that happens just not necessarily the players you think are going to be in the battle, you know? Or the way the battle plays out, even if you're, you're right. Because even if we want to be surprised, we have preconceived expectations. Uh, if you're like a fantasy lover, which always can come in different forms, but you're right. If it's surprising and a little unexpected, that is a nice twist. Yeah, you were really good with like the red herrings and the surprises and the twists in both books. I, I was genuinely, there was a couple times I was like, huh. I did not expect that. Like there were definitely a few moments like that. So it definitely kept me on my toes as a reader, which was great. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, I want to talk about our two mains in kind of in book two. Mm -hmm. I was really intrigued by their personal journeys in that book. I kept coming back to my notes and just commenting on um, on both of them. They're very different people, even though they have a lot in common, the way they live their lives, the way they are wired as humans are very different. Um, mm -hmm. And they both have really big internal journeys that happen with who they are as people. Um, you know, I would say Karina's is sort of like everything she knows 
is upended. Basically, everything she's ever been told about her existence in her family, in her kingdom, is completely like she's just got all these revelations that keep happening to her and then make her question her identity. And on then Malik kind of he kind of goes down a, a, a dark path in book two. There's mm-hmm. some stuff that happens with him and some choices he makes that um, were really hard to read. I actually, hers was more like all the stuff was flying at her and she was like, okay, whoa, this isn't what I thought. And she was dealing, but like his, his felt more intimate and like painful to read about because I think maybe mm-hmm. it's because he's such a gentle character as well. Um, kind of take us through when you were making their, their journeys for book two, like how you got, took us on those paths, because they really were very, um, not the same people they started with at the beginning of book two when they ended, like there was a lot that happened. Definitely. So with the two of them, I always knew that like, while they kind of mirror each other and they can't go the same kind of journey. And so I kind of went with Karina's most of Karina's issues tend to be a bit more external. Like she's really grappling with like the external world and like her expectations of the world versus what the world's willing to give her. And like, she's very much someone who's sort of fighting against the world itself. Right. Versus Malik. His, it's like, he does have a lot of external problems. Don't get me wrong. But like his biggest problem has always been internal. Like mm-hmm. he has a lot of, like we talked about inner demons and like he struggles a lot with himself internally. So it's even sort of reflected in their magic. Karina's magic tends to be a little more external and his is a little more internal. I guess that's a slight book one spoiler. Oof. But um, it's like, so with the two, like I always knew that like that's kind of how they would mirror each other. Like they're both struggling very deeply, but like on different planes. And so with Malik, his, well, actually let me start with Karina. Karina's was actually easier to plot out because like external plot points are always easier in the sense that you just kind of throw a new obstacle at the character and they got to get around it yeah and that's how she very much was like because it was very much like things were coming at her truths were revealed things were happening and then she would just have to deal with them like you're right like she was just like okay well well that shifted things now what do i do exactly right that's how it felt as a reader too yeah but with malik his was his was trickier like in both books malik's are always trickier because he's such an internal character so Mm -hmm. it's like how do you externalize such an internal journey? Because like for him, like his situation does not change as rapidly as Karina's does. Like there are some major points that change circumstances for him towards the middle and the end. But like for the majority of the book, he's kind of in the same sort of place. He's like physically and like safety wise, he's kind of like in the court and like he's doing his stuff, but like internally he's going through a huge, huge like sort of reckoning. Like who am I? What am I willing to do? Like in book one, he said, I will do anything for my family's safety. Like, that's his whole thing. And then book two asks, like, will you really do anything? Um, and what does that actually mean? And then how and do like, you live with those choices if you make them? Yep. Exactly, exactly. And so with Malik, it was definitely a lot. I I was definitely worried as I was writing it because, like, obviously one of the things readers hate, we all hate info dumps, right? And, like, we all hate long paragraphs of characters just thinking thoughts. But, like, Malik is very much a thinking thoughts kind of character, mm-hmm. which is why I hope Karina balances out because she does not think about anything at all. So <laughs> I was hoping, like, people might forgive Malik for being such an interior character because we have Karina who is not to balance it out. Um, but, yes, with him, it was just, it, it came across as the way I sort of tried to pull it off was, like, really making his emotional journey feel like sort of action-packed in a sense, mm. like in the way that when you're at emotional extremes in your life, whether positive or negative, it feels like a big deal, even though it's happening like just in your head, right? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to make all the emotional extremes he was at 
feel as big as like huge action scenes, even though they weren't actually action scenes. And so that was sort of how I sort of tried to balance it to like Karina has literal action and he has this very intense emotional action and hoping that they would resonate to the same to the reader, even though on a material level, they weren't the same thing. Well, and we have, um, I don't want to get too spoilery, but we have interesting side characters that are very prevalent with him <laughs> in in his process as well um, and, and, and help influence him or almost become a sounding board in a way um, for better or worse sometimes. But like it, it was really interesting to see him having to struggle through his realizations of decisions he's made and why he is choosing what he's choosing and what does that really mean for himself? Yeah, it was, um, his, his journey was, was hard to read. I definitely, I felt, I felt more for him. I mean, not that Karina, I felt bad for Karina as well. She, um, had a lot of crap in book two, (laughs) a lot of crap in book (laughs) one too. Her life was was, been rough. This girl has had a rough time. Let's just say that. She's had a really rough time. Um, but I don't know, maybe it's because we were in his head. Maybe it's because he was such, he's such a gentle soul. I just, oh, his journey in book two was, was hard for me to read. It was definitely like, and I'm, I'm really glad of, I'm, I, that you took him the way he did and how the journey went for him. I thought it was really interesting to read, but it definitely, um, yeah. And like I was saying with all those, with the rhythm of the story, as we were talking about earlier, there's all this stuff happening, but yet we're still, you know, sometimes he's just in his head having to deal with his choices and, make a choice which he's not either either option it doesn't feel good so how do you how do you move forward through that and all of that so yeah it was really um it was really good I actually love to kind of this kind of touches on what you just said I love that you alternated chapters between their points of view um Mm -hmm. that was really fun as a reader too because first of all you could leave us hanging which you did a few times I was like dang it (laughs) like and then it jumped to the next character but um in regards to the balance of the two, um, I, I thought that worked really well as well. I mean, was that always your intent when you wrote those? Definitely, yeah. And that carried over from book one. I knew I wanted a strict alternating structure because, like, I knew it was very important to me that this book was always pitched as both Karina and Malik's story. Like, yeah. this is not like a story of, like, either one of them, like, a romance where it's, like, either one of them plus the love interest. Like, this is very much they are both in control here. This is both of their stories. Mm. Um, and because of that, um, a strict alternating structure, like there's always one, then the, the next one, and then back and forth, made it so there's an equal number of chapters for both of them. I think like one of them might have one more chapter because we have an odd number or something, but like essentially it's an equal number of chapters. Like they both have equal page space, like they both have equal importance to the narrative. Mm. Um, and also kept it easier for me because like I knew if I could go like four chapters of Karina and then like one Malik, I'd, I'd get very unbalanced, but like yeah. it helped kind of narrow the focus when I was plotting things out knowing that like if there's a Karina chapter Malik has to be right after so it's like if Karina's had a very action-packed chapter like Malik's needs to be a little more chill to give the reader space to process because even though for the characters these things are happening on different planes different timelines the readers experience it at once so I can't just put five huge deep chapters in a row and expect the reader to be like yo wait no 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 like (laughs) They say like that's too much. Yeah. Because even when they're together, um, and you're we're getting alternate points of view from them, um, because of how they're how they see the world differently, it was it definitely felt there was definitely a different feel from um their thoughts and their, you know, not only just their internal dialogue, but just how they interact in the world. Um, which definitely felt 
it was a nice shift. It was, yeah, I really liked that about the book. I really did. I, I thought that worked really well. And it was very enjoyable to kind of see how you took the, the story. Um, are you done in this world? Are you going to ever visit it again? Um, what are your thoughts? Are you like, do you feel, I mean, it was a very satisfying, I thought it was a very satisfying ending. Like you, and you end the story in a very interesting way, which I thought was interesting. It was great. It made me laugh. Um, and it also was delightful, but it also, you know, there's, there's a lot, I mean, the world is extremely complex. You have a ton of amazing side characters. Like, are you interested in revisiting or was this, is this just the story that needed to be told? So I can say at this moment, there aren't plans for another book in the rapes world but that does not mean there'll never be plans like i definitely ended it the way i did because i the door is closed at the moment but like it's i like to call it like a sliding door like i can see what's happening on the other side and like i can open it at any moment and we've definitely there have been talks like i've definitely been talks with my publisher about like if we were to expand like what would it look like who has the best story like yeah and there's definitely characters who come to mind like if there was a gun to my head right now, like write another race book. I know exactly who I write about. So this is not so much like a, a lack of ideas as much as I know that I kind of need space and different pastures for a little bit. Mm. Um, Cause again, I've been working on the series essentially five years straight. That's like a lot of time to be in one world. And again, also um, through a pandemic too, whether pandemic, that's yeah. publishing and writing, like, cause you're, I'm sure I'm assuming you were working on parts of book two throughout the start of the pandemic too. So yeah. that's a yeah, lot. Yeah. That is a lot emotionally to deal with. And I mean, and, and again, because there's so much complexity to this world, I could see you needing a break and, and you do end it in, in such a way that I, I do think if you were to revisit the world, you would have to handle it. And I'm sure you would, but like you, you can't just go back in with the same story because it would, it would, it would cheapen the way you ended the, the series now. And it, it's such a wonderful ending. I think the ending is just, it's great. I really liked it. Definitely. I thought it was Thank you. delightful and well done. And um, yeah, I was just going to say, I think because of the way I ended it, I will say I can't see another knock on wood. You never know, but I can't see another series which make Karina Malika main characters like I feel like these characters have they've been through enough first of all like let them rest and number two like <laughs> seriously I, I, I put them through everything I could put them through however I could very much easily see them showing up as side characters in other people's stories yeah. and I feel like there's definitely stuff like going on after the end of the book we'd love to see what they're up to and what their lives ended up looking like and like I so they could definitely make cameos but I can't say I think I'm I'd say I'm like 99% certain that I could, there's not another series of them as main characters, but that doesn't mean that there's not another series like set in the world, you know? Yeah. And you never know. Like you said, 10 years from now, you might be like, hmm, what if that happened to them? That would be interesting. You never, I mean, who knows? You never, art, art is a, art is such a weird and nebulous thing, you know? And, and it's just because you, you're right. You never know. But yeah, I, I, um, well, I'm really glad you took us on their journey because like I said, these books were so delightful to read oh my gosh like I I mean I read book one last year but I reread it before reading book two this year and I did it on audio this time which was like I said really fun and then jumping right into book two um oh it was just so complex so well done I just seriously like you should be and I'm sure I hope you feel proud of yourself you should because they're really really good they really are Oh my gosh. Um, or I just gush, but I do. I'm, I'm still riding the high of book two. I only finished it like a couple days ago. So I've just, yeah. By the way, the covers are ridiculously beautiful. Oh my gosh. No, the covers, they did like, they went like next level with them. And it's so funny because originally like when we were like doing the early talks, the first one, they're like, oh, what kind of covers do you like? I'm like, so I'm actually not a big fan of like 
the girl with a dress on a cover. Um, I don't know, because I feel like it's just been overdone in YA. And they're like, cool. Then they can't turn around. They're like, so we did the girl in a dress. And I was like, okay. So um, I'm glad they ignored me, though, because like, no, what they turned, like what they did was amazing. Yeah, it's it's but it's like next level girl in a dress on the cover, like in the backgrounds and like, oh, yeah, they're really beautiful. Seriously, when I got book two in my hands, I was like, holy crap, this book is beautiful. Yeah, so mm -hmm. you should feel proud of those. Um, So what are you working on now? You said last week you were you had a deadline. Is there anything in the works? Are you um, I'm assuming if you had an actual deadline, then we've got stuff going on. I don't know if you can tell us what's happening next for you in the writing world. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, so I'll go in order kind of like chronologically what's due. So the next thing I have coming out is I have a graphic novel coming out with Marvel um, next Ooh. spring. And the date of uh, the title um, date and cover will be announced soon, but I can say it's Black Panther, and it follows a young Shuri and T'Challa on a quest to save their mother and Wakanda from a curse. And so that has been so great to work on, because I oh love, love, love comics. Everything yes, about that is awesome. <laughs> I'm just sitting yes. here, like, grinning, like, okay, yep, yep, that sounds amazing. Yes, and I just love, and it's so great to, like, see, because, like, obviously in Black Panther, the movie, which most people know, like, they're adults, right? So getting to take these characters who people love as an adult and kind of imagine what they were like as children <laughs> has been just such, such, so, so much fun to do. So that's what's next, like, coming out print-wise. After that, I have a short story and a Star Wars anthology on Stories of Jedi and Sith. Mm -hmm. um, and the full sort of list of who everyone is writing will be out soon. But um, I could say every character is either a Jedi or a Sith. And it was Star Wars is another one of my favorite franchises. So it's so fun to imagine oh my, um, my character and what they're up to. So that was great. And then the one that I just turned the deadline in for this week, this is my middle grade debut. Um, this is out next fall. Um, Farewell Bauteng's Guide to Vampire Hunting. It's out with Rick Riordan Presents. And it follows a young girl who's been trained to hunt vampires her whole life, a special kind of vampire we have in Ghana called Ajay. But when her family decides it's no longer safe after a bad attack goes horribly wrong, um, they send her to normal school for the first time <laughs> in her life. Oh, and so she has to sucks yes <laughs> and she has to learn how to exist as a normal girl when she's been raised to hunt vampires her whole life and it goes horribly as you can probably guess oh, so that i'm really excited for that one regarding one of my favorite authors so it's just an honor to work with him and like his vision is just next level and like yeah i was gonna say the stuff he's doing for the middle grade and like representation and just the stories that are being told through the rick riordan presents like everyone has been is knocked out of the park so like i just cannot wait to read that that sounds incredible thank you no it has been just so fun especially because like there was a time when i was working on both this and the race duology at the same time and so like it was definitely like jumping from like the middle grade voice and it's a contemporary fantasy like it takes place in our world but mm. with magic versus like race which is a high fantasy second yeah. world so jumping between the voices age-wise genre-wise category it was definitely like a challenge but i it, i think i learned a lot from it mm. i know like brandon sanderson talks about that he always has two projects going at the same time from what i understand and it's usually what like things that feel totally different because it almost like is like a palate cleanser for him sometimes too so who knows that could end up being like a like a something that you lean into in the future too you never know i mean obviously if deadlines make you do it you have no choice but you know it could end up being by choice but do you, do you realize how cool you just you just read to me you're like i've got a black panther graphic novel coming out with marvel i'm in a star wars anthology and i'm writing a vampire middle grade with rick riordan presents like what is your life is so awesome right now that's amazing oh my gosh that's about as cool as it gets like honestly <laughs> 
Thank you. Thank you. It's like, it's so weird because, like, when you're in it, you're just like, oh my God, deadline. This person, you owe this. This person, you owe this. Uh-huh. But then sometimes I step back, I'm just like, wait a minute, yo, these are like my favorite franchises growing up. And I get yes! to know it, it's, it, it just hits you all over again. You're just like, wow. Oh my gosh. That's like, seriously, how freaking cool is that? I know. I keep like laughing and I'm just have this huge grin on my face. I'm just like, man, it, it just, that just sounds so great. Um, <laughs> usually before we go I like to ask authors if they've read anything good lately are you able to read with all your crazy deadlines have you um, read anything good that you would recommend it doesn't necessarily have to be fantasy our reader or listeners read across the board so I'm always curious what authors would recommend if they have anything on their plates that they've enjoyed definitely so one trilogy I recently finished is um, A Good Girl's Guide to Murder by Holly Jackson all three of those um I'm recently getting into thrillers, which I've avoided for most of my life because I'm a big baby and I get scared easily. But I'm recently realizing I really like thrillers. And so I read that one. It was just incredible. The third one just came out and I'm just in awe. It was one of those books like I finished and I put it down. I was just lying there like, this is next level. Like, oh my goodness. Like, just makes me want to work harder to make better. Because I'm just like, like sometimes you just read something. It just makes you very aware of like, the gap between where you want to be and where you mm-hmm. are. And like, that's not me trying to knock myself. It's just kind of like, I'm always trying to push and improve. And that was one of those books that did want, did that. And wow. so it really got me thinking about plot and structure and all that. And what I'm re- reading right now, so I'm not done this one yet, but Little Thieves by Margaret Owen. Um, and I just am really loving, it's like a retelling of Goose Girl. Oh so. yeah, that's her new one. Yes. I interviewed yeah. her on the podcast and she is a delight. She was telling me, I think it was in the works when we talked, like it sounded really cool. Yeah, it's so, so, so good. And this is my first work by her, but I'm just like blown away. It's so vivid. It's so visceral. I love it. I love it. Oh, that's a, those are both great wrecks. I mean, yeah, I, I always am amazed with thrillers too. I tend to read sci-fi fantasy, mostly fantasy, but I, I do read the occasional thriller and I'm always amazed at like the plotting, the whodunit, the, the, the throwing me offs and like, like when it's really well done and I just didn't see it coming and all, like, yeah, I just, I'm always really impressed with, with good thriller writers because it's to me it's just like i can see where you're like wow this is like next level because if it's also something you're not familiar with as much like that could be inspiring so that's really cool who knows maybe you'll be putting a thriller on your on your radar down the road you never know i'm honestly i'd love to do that because i feel like part of it with fantasy you get to meander a little bit like which is which is weird like the race books i feel like people don't associate them with meandering but i definitely feel like there's it's there's a lot of little side trips I take in the books that I didn't really have to, but I felt like it. Versus thriller does not let you do that. Like mm. you only have space for what matters, and so it feels like a fun exercise. Like as much as like my style tends towards meandering, I'm like if I was forced to only put down a hundred percent what matters, like what would I be mm. left with? So it seems like a fun exercise. You could also kind of blend it in the middle and do almost like a urban fantasy style where there's fantastical elements, but the plot is thriller. That could be fun. I mean, there's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, limitless, really. But yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, well, Rosanne, thank you for talking with me today. Um, I am so glad we got to do this. Thank you. No, thank you for reading. And because it's just like, just talking to readers, that just makes it all feel so worth it, especially with pandemic and like not be able to do like actual uh, in person yeah. events, like see people. So thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I um I will be recommending these books to every fantasy lover I know. Seriously, like, uh, I, you know, I'm really selective when I ask people to be on the podcast because I only want to read books that are interesting to me. Um, but I seriously, these for me were next level. I was just so impressed with these books, and 
uh, the way you wrapped up the series, the the two books with book two, it just where you took the characters. It was just so well done. And I'm just so glad that, you know, people have loved this series and they're, um, it sounds like you're getting really good feedback on book two, which is great. It's well-deserved. So um, I'm really glad we got the chance to kind of dig into it a little bit and, and, you know, let our listeners get a little taste of the series if they haven't, um, if they haven't read it. And if they have, they can get a little insight into kind of the inner workings of the creation of these books. But um, thanks for listening, guys. We will be back next week with another interview. Um, but for now, this is Roseanne and Lauren signing off. Say bye. Bye, everyone. <laughs>